Chapter Seven of My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seven. It was not very tragic. The first time I saw him, and the last time I saw him, I laughed, and the interval was not unamusing. Quite suddenly, he had become the fashion. Some great lady in London, I forget who had heard Claude Carson recite one of his own love-songs at a concert got up for a charity, and she had invited him to her house where he had met other women of fashion, and between themselves in their little set they had determined to make him the mode. It was at one of the Duchess of Birmingham's nicest parties, one of her small musical evenings, that we first saw him. I had been away from town a month or two and was out of touch with London things, so that when someone said excitedly to me in the supper-room, "'Oh, come upstairs!' claude carson is going to recite and i saw all the women trailing out of the room at once i turned to the nearest young man to ask what it all meant oh some cad with long hair who rolls his eyes about and recites erotic poems meet him at every blessed place you go to was the answer as my informant helped himself to plover's eggs and reached for a fresh bottle of champagne upstairs however in the music-room there was a flutter of excitement a royal duchess was present an event coupled with the fact that this new artist was going to perform favouring that kind of electric buzz in the air which is so precious to the ears of an anxious hostess round the grand piano was a line of pretty women all with their eyes turned towards the seated figure at the music-stool there was perfect silence as mr claude carson rippled a few chords over the keys i peeped over the shoulders of two or three people in front of me and saw a white face framed in long blonde hair which fell in one straight lock across the forehead the eyes which were fixed on the cornice of the ceiling were dark grey in colour and full of what young ladies call soul the nose was thin and straight the lips full and beautifully curved the jaw rather square and pathetically thin it was a face out of a burne jones picture then the long white hands moved rhythmically over the piano and claude carson sweeping an ineffably weary glance along the line of pretty faces bent towards him finally fixed his gaze on the royal duchess and began to recite speaking his words in a rather monotonous tone to an accompaniment of ripples and chords ah he is going to do that charming thing from his roses of passion the book which he is just going to publish somebody whispered excitedly i like him best when he recites his own poems first mr claude carson told us how he had met a young person in the twilight's mellow time and how the daisies had kissed her feet but how she swerving beneath his glances had flitted through the network fine of buds which blow in hawthorn's glow but eventually it appeared the lady had not proved so coy for in the second verse mr carson very justly remarked but if you linger in that place beneath the hawthorn's interlace and i may gaze upon your face shall love forgo sweet passions flow the stars alone look down on high the winds alone repeat your sigh no eyes are lonely tryst descry they little know they little know fans waved in time to the quaint rhythm necks were craned forward eyes drooped and glistened there were pensive smiles on curved lips it was not very good but there was something magnetic about the strange performance claude carson effectually filled the stage while he was reciting it was impossible to look in any other direction and if the second twilight break faint bird notes sweet the morning make and wondering world now reawake 
and life reflow with love and woe the new day finds us parted sweet and new worlds open at our feet once strange a stranger shall we meet we little know we little know he finished in a whisper which just filtered through his clenched teeth an elderly gentleman coughed severely and a couple of young ones with faces as unemotional as their glistening shirt-fronts exchanged a swift expressive glance the royal duchess beamed approval and signified that the reciter should be presented to her the whole performance was a delightful interlude in the decorous solemnity of her exalted existence i was the only woman in the room who laughed i suppose it's an acquired taste like caviar or absinthe i said to a smart woman near me but one has got to get accustomed to it why does he play the piano all the time if he's going to recite the smart lady surveyed me with a withering glance it's the most charming thing in london she said claude carson is a delightful person all heads were turned in the direction of the young poet as he stood talking to the royal duchess his beautiful eyes fixed on her face while occasionally with a pretty fatigued movement he raised a white graceful hand and pushed back the lock of blonde hair from his forehead before the short conversation was over she had invited him to come and see her it's stupid hardly decent and almost incomprehensible said christina as we drove home so i shouldn't wonder if he became the rage this season and sure enough he did one found him everywhere one went and i had grown quite accustomed to the thrilling tones of his languorous voice the enigmatic look in his deep-set eyes when one night he asked to be introduced to me everywhere said mr carson as he dropped into a chair at my side everywhere i see your face but until to-night i did not know who you were he added softly his tone his manner annoyed me perhaps you didn't ask i suggested though an instant later i was sorry that i should have allowed myself to be flippant with a strange young man of whom i did not altogether approve and then he did something which showed that he was clever he gazed at me in perfect silence for several minutes until the memory of my flippant words had quite died away come he said at last in his thrilling tones let me give you some strawberries i took his arm and went we had a charming time that night claude carson was less absurd than he looked under his little affectations there was a boyish frank personality which was really attractive and when he could forget the fact that all the women in the room were staring at him and remember that he was not expected to keep up the character of a modern minnesanger while he helped you to quails and plover's eggs he was a nice simple boy afterwards by the by i heard that he was at least eight-and-twenty but he was one of those fair clean-shaven individuals who never look as if they had emerged from their teens i want to come and see you said claude carson that night holding my hand as we stood under the portico waiting for the carriage when may i come we are at home on sundays at five not then not in a crowd of people he pleaded i want to see you alone oh in that case i answered laughing don't come on a sunday come say on wednesday and then you will see christina but christina when he finally appeared found him impossible she said that his hands were too white and that the shape of his collar was revolting she did not like his poems generally she did not understand what they meant and when she did she said she wished she hadn't claude carson began to come a good deal 
he was always dropping in at tea-time and he never failed to look reproachful if he found me pouring out tea for mr mandell val redmond or tony lambert he would sit in a low chair leaning back and regarding me with half-closed eyes a habit which christina declared was insufferable indeed she generally remembered she had letters to write when mr carson called i have come to offer you what i prize most in the world he said one day when we were alone but i never take things anything but flowers i mean from people i objected hastily ah but you will you must accept this i dedicate to you my roses of passion the first born of my brain dear child they are yours he handed me a bit of paper on which was written to m w these my first trembling chords on the instrument of life i dedicate to you perfect soul framed in your strange subtly sweet beauty i worship you from without with never a thought of earthly guerdon fools only wish to pluck the star from the heavens the lily from its stem i leave my star in the blue vault my lily in its garden london february eighteen ninety blank oh i said how nice only you mustn't put two m w you had better put three stars i shall know who you mean we sat and talked for a long time in the twilight it was the end of february and the late afternoon was tinged with the pale wondering light of an early english spring the trees outside were swelling with purple buds and through the black branches there was the gleam of a tender rosy sunset it was the time of confidences and the kind of day one says all sorts of things one doesn't mean in a soft regretful voice just because they sound well and seem to fit into the emotional hour claude carson knelt on the window-seat his blond hair turned to pale gold against the window-pane you have helped me more than any woman i have ever known he said at last with a sigh have i i asked touched flattered and pleased i was at an age when a girl likes to be called a woman i'm sure i don't know how what have i ever done for you he gazed at me for a few seconds and then turned abruptly away you have made my life happier he said in another instant he had pressed my hand and was gone christina's dry tones called me back to mundane things and so you have had that impossible young man here for hours said my sister bursting into the room with all the matter-of-fact and common sense which an afternoon out of doors brings with it may i ask if you intend to make a fool of him too to make a fool of him no i don't think i shall ever be able to do that and my words to be sure came true a little while after we were driving one afternoon towards hammersmith when suddenly the coachman pulled up a huge dray had got across the road and for a few moments we were obliged to wait while a small crowd urged the horses this way and that we had stopped in a street of small stucco houses whose weedy front gardens were suggestive of anything but rural delights and then as we waited a thin undersized child of seven ran out of one of the open hall doors a door which revealed a vision of a perambulator a shabby oilcloth and a framed oleograph and hung staring over the green painted rails how dare you come in directly ermentrude said a querulous voice and for an instant i caught a glimpse of a rather good-looking young woman in a cheap tailor-made gown i shall tell your father you are a most disobedient child 
a moment later a young man strode down the gravelled path seized the undersized child in his arms kissed her and carried her indoors just as he disappeared in the doorway our eyes met the young man was claude carson so he is married your modern minnesanger said christina dryly holding her chin up and looking straight in front of her as we drove on apparently i said shrugging my shoulders and gazing at the coachman's back i was not to be outdone in imperturbability by christina he has married the landlady's daughter poets generally do but it was considerate of him she continued with a twinkle in the corner of her eye to leave his star in the blue vault his lily in its garden seeing that he has already got one lily and a promising bud or two in khartoum gardens hammersmith and then we both fell back on the cushions and gave way to uncontrollable giggles i laughed till the tears ran down my cheeks when will you learn sense sighed christina End of chapter seven